It's season 11, episode 5. Today is the 5th of June, 2020. My name is Matt O'Neill, and across from me on the Zoom is... Hi, everyone. I'm Erin Hodson. Hey, Erin. How you doing? I am okay. It's hot Just, and humid. Um, True. Yeah, not as bad as yesterday or throughout true. the week, right? I mean, yeah. we had some pop-up thunderstorms come through. But I think it's fair to say this has been the hottest, most humid week of 2020. I think you're right. Yeah. That was miserable. And, and on top of that, went out to do some gardening this morning. The mosquitoes are out. Yep. They're uh, hungry too. Uh, yeah. There is a brief window in Iowa where it is just perfect in the spring when everything is green, temperature isn't too hot, you know, kind of nice and cool in the evenings. You can sit outside and there's no mosquitoes, no black flies. It's great. It lasts for about 72 hours. Yeah. That's, that's all you need. Yeah. And then. So you look forward to it to next year. Yeah. <laughs> remember when? Yeah. Remember those three days? Oh, God, they were awesome. Anyway, that's not what we're here for. We're here for the Soybean Pest Podcast. So let's talk soybeans. Let's talk, let's talk pests. Okay. Let's talk podcasts. Oh, okay. Have you been listening to any? Um, my usual, like, true crime. So, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, but they're usually not related to agriculture. I need a break. Mm. So. I've been listening to, um, you know, I have a, a run of about a half a dozen I listen to. Pop culture, comedy. Uh, I like fr- the Fresh Air podcast. And I was listening to it uh, this week, and uh, our fun insect trivia is going to come from something that was inspired from that podcast. Okay. So something for the end. But you know how it works. Our listener know how, knows how it works. We're going to yeah. talk some pests. What would you hear this week? Well, a lot of the pest activity I'm hearing about is actually in alfalfa. I think I might have talked briefly before in a previous episode about alfalfa weevils yeah. starting to cause that typical frosting injury that you might see widespread throughout a field. Not the good but, kind of frosting, not the, oh, the tasty stuff on a cake. No, not not good frosting at all. But mm-hmm. adding to that is, um, it's exciting for me is to hear about aphids in alfalfa. Ooh, ooh, ooh. There's, there's, uh, there's, spotted alfalfa aphid? Um, that is one of the species that can we can find here in Iowa. There's four different species, but um, I've been hearing about uh, pea aphids, those are okay. the, the bigger ones. They can be either like green or pink, but substantially larger than maybe other aphids you'd see out in the world, but just handfuls and handfuls of pea aphids. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. And, and so, is pea aphid uh, fairly prolificous? Like it'll feed on a bunch of different plants, right? Or is I think it? it do- I think it does feed on a number of different species, but I'm not sure if it's within the legumes or if it's more yeah. than one plant family. I'm not sure. Have you noticed yeah. aphids around your home? Uh, saw some on sunflowers. Yeah. Saw some uh, green bug. Is it, and yeah, you know, I, seeing some uh, just when I'm outside, starting uh, like alates, the winged aphids kind of mm-hmm. descending on stuff. But yeah. uh, you're not seeing the, the, this talk of aphids on alfalfa. These are like established colonies that are feeding and causing some damage. Established colonies. Well, the plants are infested and there seems to be a lot of them. So I guess that they would be there. They've been there for a while. Um, People are finding them when they're sweeping, I think, looking for alfalfa weevils or other things. And 
they can colonize the stems and kind of goober things up, you know, when it comes to harvest, if the honeydew kind of gets out of control. So uh, just something that maybe don't see it that intensity every year, which is exciting for me because I like aphids, but not if you're a farmer. Um, outside of alfalfa, any soybean or corn pest talk? Yeah, the conversations about thistle caterpillar have continued. I think I briefly mentioned that in our last episode. Mm -hmm. They're a migratory pest, and there are some fields in the western counties uh, adjacent to Nebraska that have some pretty good numbers in which you know the larvae can be found on 50% of the plants. Right now the larvae are small, but the plants are also small. So I, th I expect that to continue throughout the month of June as the, as the first generation kind of ramps up in, in that part of the state. And then although I haven't heard about it in Iowa, our counterpart Bruce Potter in southwestern Minnesota hey Bruce. <laughs> noted some soybean aphids migrating to soybean. And these were early planted fields and small numbers, but he's probably looking at hundreds and hundreds of plants. So he's been able to find a few aphids, which is typical for this part of the year. The first or second week of June is to find aphids on early planted fields. Yeah. So finding aphids when you're Bruce Potter is, um, you know, that's, that's being able to find an aphid, right? I mean, he's, he's got the eye and he's really looking at a lot of plants. Mm -hmm. So this is not indicative of say an outbreak, just the no. occurrence of the, the first generation or so that has come off a of buckthorn and finding their way to soybeans. Yeah, it's typical timing. Yeah. I think that's where we would expect to see them first is in southern Minnesota. And still a lot of uh, time for those populations to establish, you know, and, and maybe start to build up. Who knows? You know, uh, yeah. we started off the podcast saying this is the hottest week yet and aphids don't do real well under hot temperatures. They don't grow as quickly as they could. So who's to say what will happen still early? Still pretty early. And um, one last thing, um, I have a graduate student, Mitchell Helton, who is helping with a trapping network for soybean gallmage in Western Iowa. And he's checking those traps twice a week. We have a few other collaborators in Iowa, and then there's quite a bit more activity in Nebraska and Minnesota. If you're at all interested in signing up for the soybean gallmage alert, uh, I can uh, me add, up. A, add a link in the in our podcast description, and you can okay. get either like a text message or a voicemail that gets pushed your way when we start collecting the overwintering adults. And so I would expect that to happen in maybe 7, 10, 12 days from now. All right. The overwintering adults. Um, so just a couple questions. One is what's a gall midge trap look like? We are using the Illinois-style rootworm traps. You're familiar with that, aren't you? Yeah. Oh. Does that bring uh, like a flashback to your master's degree? Uh, yeah. yeah. John Shaw. <laughs> PTSD. Yeah. John, I think, uh, John Shaw, uh, I think he actually worked for the Illinois Natural History Survey, but he worked with Mike Gray and Kevin Steffi with, uh, with their rootworm program, mm -hmm. developed these to capture rootworms as they were coming out of the ground from the larvae to adult stage. Mm -hmm. And it, it sits, a, what, around the plant, um, 
Well, we're putting them on bare soil um, because they would be in soybean fields that were infested last year is where uh, we place the hoping to catch them coming out of the ground. And and you said you're capturing the overwintering adults. So it overwinters as an adult midge. No, no, no. No. Well, I I hope I'm using the correct words. Um, We suspect that they overwinter as a larva or a pre-pupa and they will complete their pupation um, now in this in May and June and emerge as an adult. There's some conversation about what to call that adult, but um, just based on other multi-generational species, um, we would count that first generation as when they, when they move to soybean and then start to lay eggs this year. So the, the, the traps that we have set out now were deposited last year. Were, were were the eggs hatched last year? Got it, got it. And are are they far from a field? Are you putting them like at a field edge, or are you putting them inside, say, a, a soybean field or a, a corn field? Well, we're still trying to work that out. It is a new pest, and so we have transects of traps uh, right at the field edge, and then nice. as far as like I think 150 meters into the field interior. Um, so we don't exactly know where the majority are, but we would suspect just based on injury from the previous growing season that most of them would be around the field perimeter. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah. have some data rolling in here in the next couple of weeks, right? We hope so. Yeah. Especially with a, such a warm week, I think that will accelerate the development of the adults. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Thanks. Uh, anything else? Any other things you're mm-hmm. hearing from uh, our field crop agronomist, the extension team, your colleagues around? Um, well, in Potter. southern counties, stock borer would be moving from their overwintering houses like brome um, to bigger weeds like water hemp and corn. And then I'm also estimating corn rootworm egg hatch to be happening in southern Iowa next week. Hey, speaking of corn rootworm egg hatch, uh, we yeah. were out last night and I saw my first lightning bugs, yeah. lightning beetles flashing. Yep. Not very many, a few of them, but um, we talked last time about how that's kind of a, I don't know, is it old wives tale, old entomologist tale that links the flashing of the lightning beetles, the emergence of those adults mm-hmm. with the egg hatch of corn rootworms. So, Yeah. Anyway. We, we talk about it. you. You mention it every year, and yeah. almost every year I say I think I always see fireflies, lightning bugs before I would expect egg hatch. So I think that's what we I said last week as well. <laughs> and I'm guessing you probably said that last year. I've said it yeah. like maybe five or six years at least because you bring it up every year. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm probably going to bring it up next year. My opinion doesn't change. Yeah. I'm going to oh, bring it up next year. Yeah. I yeah. know. It's just one of my bits. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Got to fill time. Oh, speaking of filling time, should we move on to our fun insect trivia? Let's do it. Get fit. All right. This is um, this is a two-parter. Uh, this is a toss-up and a bonus question. And uh, this is straight away. This isn't one of those incremental questions or uh, over-under or spot-on. This is just uh, straight in. Get your buzzers ready for okay. this. This, I, this could be quick. All right, I want you to describe. I, I want you. Uh, 
not describe. I'm going to give you a description of a certain behavior. I want you to give me the one word that is used to describe this behavior. You ready? Sure. Question mark. This is the definition. And as soon as you're ready, I tell you what, type it in the chat. Type it in the chat so our our listener can have a chance to um, give his answer. Or her. Or her, right? Well, we got a shout out from Jody Green in Nebraska saying that she thinks she's our listener. So we might have two now. <laughs> well, if we get a shout out from our other listener, then we would know. But for right now, Judy, this one's for you. Jody. Jody. Oh my God. I'm never, no one's ever going to listen to us again. I ruin it every time. Okay. So uh, you're going to write in the chat uh, your guess as I read this definition. Okay. okay. Not that one. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your preemptive guess is wrong. Mm, okay. We'll ignore that. Okay. So uh, here it is. It's it's a little bit long, so you got uh, you can uh, can continue to guess, but you know, okay. I'll let you know when you get it right, and then okay. um, and then we'll take a beat for okay. our listener. Here we go. All right. This behavior is described as persistent and straightened out movement affected by the animal's own locomotory exertions or by its active embarkation on a vehicle it depends on some temporary inhibition of station keeping responses but promotes their eventual disinhibition and reoccurrence what is the one word behavior i'm looking for i'll repeat behavior is persistent and straightened out movement affected by the animal's own locomotory exertions or by its active embarkation on a vehicle. It depends on some temporary inhibition of station-keeping responses, but promotes their eventual disinhibition and recurrence. I right, let me translate that into English. This behavior uh, involves movement that is just, it, the, the animal just goes. And uh, sometimes if the animal isn't a mover, if it doesn't have wings, uh, Sometimes it does this thing that biologists called foracy, where it hitches onto something and just holds onto that until it feels like it's ready to let go. And this movement is, involves it stopping or inhibiting behaviors that would keep it in one place, like looking for something to feed on or looking for a mate. But eventually, as it continues to move, that inhibition goes away to where it now is happy to be someplace and feed and mate and do whatever. No, no. put a lot of guesses and you put I think some guess. All... Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, this is a, a fairly technical definition for what biologists call migration. Okay. <laughs> and it, I was thinking huh? inchworm. Um, what do you call an inchworm movement? But I didn't know that either. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so the challenge with migration is to come up with a definition that works for all organisms that migrate. Mm-hmm. Birds migrate, fish migrate. Hey, guess what? Insects migrate. In fact, this definition comes to us from an entomologist who was the first person to quantify and describe in detail both the ecology and physiology of migration from the perspective of one organism. And do you know... I'm just curious. This is the the bonus question. Do you know what insect 
was studied to get us to this point um, um, the definition no clue uh, I'm gonna give you a clue it's one of your Is favorite it orange it's mm, no not, not usually uh, but it's one of your favorite insects is it an aphid? Yeah. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Aphids were one of the first, if not the first organism where detailed study on migratory behavior and physiology was, um, was done to the point where this, this definition was developed and adopted by biologists who study migration in all kinds of organisms, birds, fishes, plants, even, um, yeah, uh, Kennedy back in the, um, oh man, this is decades ago, used flight chambers to study migratory behavior of, I think it was P. aphid, moving between its overwintering host and its summer host, and was able to see all of these features that straightened out movement, um, that inhibition of station keeping responses like feeding and um, reproduction. But eventually over time, that inhibition where wore away, and the aphid came to comes to settle on a plant and start feeding and and reproduce. And the reason um, this ca caught my attention was a podcast that I listened to earlier this week when I was out doing some field work. I was listening to a Fresh Air podcast, and they were interviewing Sonia Shaw who's a science writer, and she just published a book called The Next Great Migration. And I'll put the link to the NPR podcast uh, in, our, in our little description box. And she describes the history of migration, both for humans but for other organisms, and also the history of the study of migration. And she describes uh, how our thinking about it has changed Going back to Linnaeus, who first, you know, was part of the great effort to identify and describe all life on the planet and describing where that life originated from. And she describes how, you know, the, the process of migration was one that wasn't really considered natural. But over time, we've come to find that migration is very natural and necessary for life on this planet especially for organisms that live in temperate regions like the United in North America, United States, where seasons change and critters got to move in order to find a best place to survive. So, um, yeah, big shout out to her. That was a, it was a very interesting interview and very interesting, um, uh, summary, both from like natural history, but also just history, human history about how we think about migration. And the other thing that kind of triggered my attention uh, about this topic was a, a recent discovery of the, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, capra beetle? Yeah. Did you hear about this, Aaron? Yeah, you told me about it, but I also read a bit about it. Yep. Yeah. Where'd you, uh, I read about it on um, uh, the Minnesota Star Tribune, reported that an APHIS officer, Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, found a capra beetle in some... Uh, material that was what being transported into the United States uh, uh, into uh, arriving into Minnesota and this is worrisome because the capra beetle is considered one of the most damaging potential invasive pests that could arrive in the United States and it's not one that it's not a pest that we would typically 
talk about, I think, on our podcast because it's a pest of stored grain. And stored grain can include soybean and corn, but it's not usually a topic we talk about, uh, in part because we're mostly focused on the pests in the field, but also because, and maybe I'm wrong here, but you and I are not experts in the field of stored grain pests. Is that fair to say? Very fair to say. And it, that is a whole field of entomology. Like there are people who make their whole careers studying that. And there's a science of it that is somewhat unique to those organisms. They have a very unique ecology and biology and adaptations to live and survive on just stored grain. And uh, there are specific uh, practices to manage those pests in a stored grain facility. And it's not something that is a big part of my training. I, I, and typically for people like us that are applied entomologists that work in field crops, that's not a big part of our training, right? I mean, that, again, is that yeah. fair to say? Fair um, to say. But we recognize that the capra beetle could be, I don't know if game changer is a strong, is, is probably too strong a word, but it would be, it would be a problem. It would be a problem that farmers would, ha- uh, would have to think about if it were to be established in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not in my wheelhouse. We have a few connections with extension and uh, ag engineering that are more familiar with uh, grain quality and stored grain pests. Um, but then really I would rely on people outside of Iowa State University to do that, to help us out. Yeah. 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 And, um, I'm not bringing this up as a way to scare people and, and our listeners, but just to inform them that uh, this type of problem persists and this problem being invasive species. And this is different than migration. Migration is natural and part of the life cycle of many things and, and is, is required for many organisms to complete their life cycle. But that's not what's going on with the capra beetle. That's a del- um, accidental movement of this species from its native range into an exotic range. And my understanding from what little bit of research I did on this uh, over the week is a capra beetle's native range is parts of Asia, India, uh, um, and, and what uh, would be Southeast Asia, and uh, not North America. So any arrival of this critter into North America is most likely done by human uh, efforts, particularly trade. So that's why we have things like the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service inspecting those things to prevent critters like this from getting in. All right, so that's that's the genesis of that fit. I feel more fit. Thanks, man. <laughs> if I can change just one life, then it was all worth it. So have we done it through uh, episode five? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's wrap this one up. Hey, everybody. Uh, Jody, Judy, feel free to uh, post us some questions. Let us know if you got that one right. You can email Aaron, E-W-H at iastate.edu. You can email me, O-N-E-A-L at iastate.edu. And I'll even look at my junk mail to see if something was sent. Because... You know, I like I like emails. Uh, they can find us on the internet's Soybean Entomology Research Lab. Uh, that's where we post our podcast, but also on all the podcast aggregators like Stitcher, Apple, 
podcast, iTunes. What else? Where else is this found, Aaron? All the places. Google oh, Play. Yeah. Go look. It's not that hard. Yeah. Okay. All right. Are we good? Yep. Thanks, All right. Matt. Stay safe. See you.